on the Dallas Opera Network. You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's Opera Box Score. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined on America's Talk Radio Show about opera by Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Ashley Hardgrave. All right, this week... Oliver goes inside the huddle with baritone Kenneth Overton, the creator of Black Opera Live. Find out not only how history was made when the Met inadvertently featured four black sopranos in leading roles in one performance of The Marriage of Figaro, but also which of those sopranos is Kenneth Overton's tennis buddy. Plus, two-minute drill, even Kanye West is having a hard time paying his opera performers and crew, and he can't blame Peter Gelb for it. <laughs> oh, Burn. Got him. <laughs> Matt, Matt, Matt Cummings, Matt Cummings, what's all this about Cleveland? So the uh, big news out of Cleveland is that they are no longer going to be using an offensive mascot slash team name anymore. After so, 2021. After 2021. So my... um. <laughs> Because Ashley knows way more about this than I do. No so they one, need I mean, a no one name. should be surprised. <laughs> uh, but my my question is like, what are they gonna? Yeah, what are they gonna do? Are they gonna be the the Cleveland River Fires, <laughs> the Cleveland Rock and Roll Halls of Fame? Um, my personal vote would be for the Cleveland Grovers. Oh, is Grover from Cleveland? That. Oh, I get it. Okay. You should have remembered Glover Cre- Grover Cleveland. I believe he was the president when you were born, Oliver. That's it. Which, which time? We don't have a racist name anymore. It's Grover. <laughs> oh, now oh, it's Glover. just time for, you know, the other three cities that have professional sports franchises with questionable mascots. Okay, um, so Chicago, duh, the Blackhawks. Whoops. Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And Atlanta. Yeah. Mm, not great. You're Can, what is Kansas ladies? City's team name? The I don't know. The Chiefs. The Chiefs. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And well, the, and the I mean, better late than never is the team motto for Cleveland. And uh, hopefully later is somewhat better for the rest of them, I guess. I mean, none of them were ever as bad as Washington, which was just a straight Oof. up slur. Very true. Very true. <laughs> but we have seen- really. We have seen some progression this year in some progressive areas of sports. Uh, speaking of which, we need to congratulate Sarah Fuller once again for mm. making history yet again. Because last week, she was the first woman in a, to play for a Power 5 team. But this week, she was the first woman to score for a Power 5 football team. So congratulations yeah, to Sarah Fuller no once again stand. for a field goal. <laughs> All right. Let's talk some opera. Huddle up. Let's go. Inside the Huddle. Oliver Camacho went inside the huddle with baritone Kenneth Overton. I'm going to tell you about that in just one second, but now I'm scared that somebody's going to tackle Sarah Fuller. Is that possible? Could they tackle her? I mean, yes. But Do kickers ever thing. get tackled? They, they can. do. They, they do. Can get, but why would can. you be scared? I mean, really, any of us could be tackled at any time. I live in fear, <laughs> Oliver. That's why I'm in this closet. <laughs> no, uh, you're uh, yes. I mean, a, a kicker can get tackled, but also let's be fair. Um, it's it's Vanderbilt. They don't have that many games <laughs> left, so sh- we're okay for now. Okay. Um. So, a couple months ago, we spoke to Afton Battle, and she kept reminding us that we should check out the work of Ken Overton, Kenneth Overton, 
And so on her recommendation, I did. And the first thing that I noticed was that Kenneth Overton uses his social media platform to advocate for uh, Black artists and, you know, Black opera, just to be very broad about it. And um, he has he's working on this documentary called uh, Black Opera, the film, uh, which is like the history of um, Black singers in opera. Uh, but because everything has been sidelined due to COVID, he decided he was going to just keep creating content and keep advocating uh, on his social media platforms. And he started a sort of a talk show, uh, an interview series, which is called Black Opera. And he interviews various uh, Black singers. And uh, he had this one episode, which I can't believe that he was able to put this together. But in a single episode, he has... Barbara Hendricks, Harlan Blackwell, and Roberta Alexander all on the same show. Okay. Because oh, the three man. of the three of them plus Hilda Harris by accident appeared on the same cast of The Marriage of Figaro. And <laughs> we it was stan. The- we <laughs> stan that whole there was, a, there, was a, there was a cancellation and there was like a cast change, this type of thing. So it all kind of conspired to create this one magical evening. It's never been repeated at the Met with four. <laughs> Black leading sopranos. Imagine that. <laughs> uh, so he got them. He got all of them except for Hilda Harris on this call. And I mean, I would listen to two hours of Barbara Hendricks being interviewed, but to have all oh, of them together sure. was pretty incredible. So I wanted to begin our conversation with Ken Overton, who, by the way, is also a singer and who is part of the triple Grammy Grammy nominated uh, Passion of Yeshua uh, by Richard Daniel Portwood, which he's singing Black Jesus. Uh, so not to forget that he has his own career as a singer, but uh, I'm very interested in his advocacy work. And I wanted to ask him how it all got started. Yeah, it started out of frustration with Black History Month. You know, it, it's the time of year where, you know, orchestras and, and companies call you to take part in their Black History Month program. And you don't hear from them at any other time <laughs> of the year. <laughs> but then I was also frustrated with the industry at large in that it decides what handful of singers of color get celebrated. And you hear the same names and you hear the same voices over and over and over again. And it's like, wait a minute, my cell phone is full of my friends uh, who are singers of color who are extremely amazing and they need to get some shine. And so with, with my social media platform, I'm going to just do it. And uh, I said, you know, I'm going to put up a photo, a YouTube clip and a biography every day for the entire month of February about singers other than the ones that the industry sort of puts in our face. And um, right before we started recording, you told me that your advocacy goes back maybe even earlier than Facebook uh, with a company called uh, Yeah, Opera Noir of New York. Yeah, I helped to co-found it about 15 years ago. And uh, it started out as a resource center for for Black singers. And we would come together and have monthly masterclasses with accomplished artists in the field. And um, they would come and give freely of their time. Uh, You know, you have Carolyn Blackwell coming in to give a masterclass and Martina Arroyo coming in to give a masterclass. And, you know, directors like, you know, Gina Lipinski and, and all of these amazing people coming in. And each month the class would get bigger in numbers. And then we decided to put on a concert one day in a church and then 
kaboom, it started <laughs> its own life. And then companies started contacting us when they needed singers of color for productions or whatever. And we became this sort of like- You became the Porgy and Bess farm. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And the Tree Manisha farm. <laughs> exactly, and showboats and all the rest yeah. of it, yes. Um, so th- you've been doing this then, so let's just say you've been, you know, trying to amplify the work of black artists and other mm-hmm. artists of color for many years now. Yes. And that has led to what I think is an incredible platform, uh, Black Opera Live, but it has many wings. So can you go ahead and yes. like, sort of describe what Black Opera and what Black Opera Live is? Well, Black Opera came to me through my two now very dear friends, Jonathan Estabrooks and Miranda Plant, and they are Canadians, white Canadians, and they were in the process of producing and making a documentary about the life of six legendary black singers. That is white excellence, by the way. Yes, white excellence, absolutely. (laughs) And it's not lost to me that they're Canadian, like at all. Uh, I love that actually. And they wanted a consultant. And uh, Jonathan went to Juilliard, um, as a singer, but with my friend uh, baritone Sydney Outlaw, and he said, "Sydney, who can I talk to? Who's you know really into this? And who's?" And Sydney gave him my name, and so the three of us had a meeting one day, and they said, "Well, you just can't be a consultant. You have to be an associate producer. Would you consent to doing that?" And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I I didn't go to school for film production." Mm-hmm. But I decided, you know, let's jump in head first. This combines all the things that I love, opera, black singers, and celebrating the history of it all. So um, that's how it started. And it's grown now and it's continuing to grow. We're expanding the script to include uh, black singers of today and how they were inspired and how doors were opened with the singers of our uh, past in our history. So it's it's an ever evolving documentary and it's gonna be really, really, really fantastic. Um, but we were in the process of raising money like all documentaries do and then Corona hit and things dried up, money dried up, and, you know, things just halted. And I said to the team, I said, listen, we've got to do something just to keep the name of the film out there and keep it going. And they said, well, why don't you do a talk show? And I said, well, yeah, I can do a talk show and just talk to my friends, the living, breathing, working Black artists of today. And so that's how Black Opera Live started. And I was originally only supposed to do it for June and July. But then we got to July and they were like, you can't stop. You can't stop. You can't stop. You have to do it. And so we moved it from Instagram to Facebook and YouTube Live. And it's just been a tremendous, awesome, amazing experience. And the first Monday of January will be my 30th episode with, you know, just incredible artists. It's it's phenomenal. So you have the feature length film, which is still being produced. Yes. And you're still trying to raise money for, Uh, but then there are the um, talk show segments which people can find uh, on the Black Opera Facebook, but better to look for it on YouTube. What is your recommendation? Yes, we have all of the episodes on our website, blackoperafilm.com and our YouTube channel, the Black Opera YouTube channel as well. All of the episodes from the very beginning until infinity will be there. 
Okay. But then you also did something like the Jesse Norman celebration. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That was a true labor of love. Again, during the pandemic, I'm sitting in my apartment in the middle of July and a friend of mine wrote me and he said, Hey, you realize it's Jesse Norman's 75th birthday this September 15th. You should do something. And then that's all he said. And I'm like, well, what the heck am I going to do with this in the middle of a pandemic? What can I do that can, you know, really honor her and, and the greatness that she is. And so I stayed up to like three, four o'clock in the morning, writing things down. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And I came up with this idea and I took it to Jonathan and Miranda the next day. And I said, you guys, if I'm overstepping, if this is outrageous and beyond what we're supposed to be doing, just tell me to be quiet and I'll go back to my associate producer corner. And they said, nope, this is fantastic. We have to run with it and do it. And it grew from its inception to what everybody uh, eventually saw, but we were able to raise so much money and, and donate thousands of dollars to the Jesse Norman um, Fund, which helps to support the Jesse Norman School of the Arts. And uh, it was a fantastic um, uh, experience. It gave me a couple more gray hairs in my beard, but it was, <laughs> it was so worth it. And, you know, everybody that we asked to take part in it was so gung-ho. And yeah, I just, you got a couple people in there like Anna <laughs> DeVere Smith and Laverne yeah. Cox <laughs> yes. and Michael Tilson Thomas. Just yes. a few people. <laughs> just a couple of folks, you know, but they all said yes. And they said yes immediately. And they, even in the middle of a pandemic and all this technology, they all were just, just wonderful about it. So is that free content or is that still pay to view content? It was, it was pay to view. And then we left it up for a week, but it's no longer viewable mm. um, because it was just a fundraiser for that, for the school of the arts and for the film. Okay. Well, getting back to the talk show, one yeah. of the episodes, which I'm already, I've already started watching and I cannot wait to finish it. You had, Barbara Effing Hendricks, <laughs> Roberta <laughs> Alexander, and Harlan Blackwell on the same show. I mean, those are three episodes, and I would want two-hour episodes with each of them. Exactly. But they're all on the same show. Can you tell our audience why they were on the same show? Yeah, well, I'm a history buff. I love, love, love history. And I found out through a conversation with Harlan that on one night only at the Met in 1989, Four black women sang the four leading roles in Le Nozze di Figaro. And it never happened again, neither in that run of shows or in history. Have there ever so been just four one black night. women? One night mm. due to a cancellation of one artist and an illness of another, these four women converged on one night. And uh, Hilda Harris was the fourth, uh, who was Cherubino. And Harolyn was Barbarina. And Barbara was Susanna. And Roberta was... Contessa. And um, I said, wouldn't it be amazing if I got all of them at the same time? And they have not been all together since. So it was like a reunion for them. And they all said yes immediately. Hmm. All three of them said yes. How did you get in touch with Barbara Hendrick? Doesn't she like live like in the top of a mountain in Switzerland or something? She lives, she lives on an uh, island off of the coast of Switzerland. She okay. said you have to take two ferries to get to the mainland from where she lives. <laughs> and she was worried about her internet connection, but it was amazing. But uh, I got in touch with her through Roberta Alexander, who I have grown to adore because she is a tennis fan and we have a little tennis group on Facebook and she's a part of it. And so we Give, give gab and talk and you know just 
love on tennis. And I wrote to her and I said, would you be interested in doing this? And do you think Barbara would? And do you know her? And she was like, know her. I talked to her at least three times a week. She'll say yes. <laughs> and you'll have problems even getting her to, to shut up because she, <laughs> loves, she loves to talk. And sure enough, I emailed her and her assistant wrote me back immediately. And she said, yes, she would love to take part. And there we were. So we were in Switzerland with Barbara, in the Netherlands with Roberta, and New York City with Harolyn and I. It was great. So the real question is, do you know if that Barbara Hendricks assistant position is going to be open anytime soon? <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting. His name is Olivier. <gasps> so she wouldn't have to really think that much. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So you've been doing this now all summer long, and you have talked to a lot of you know, people who are history making and working right now. Yeah. Um, do you have the common thread yet? Or do you have the, you know, the large takeaway or maybe an anecdote that, you know, shows how these things are all related, all these people are related besides their skin color, of course. Yeah. So much, so many of them started singing in church. Mm. That seems to be the common thread of all of them, all of us, because that's where I started as well. Um, or they had a teacher that noticed something in them that they didn't know about themselves, which was this, this talent, this gift. So it was either a teacher or a mentor and the church that played a huge part in, in all of their lives. Somebody Even Barbara with, Hendricks, my goodness. I was Somebody she, with ears out there who is educated enough to, to hear the potential and a faith that brought somebody to the thing. Yes, hmm. that's it. That's been the common thread. And do you have any particular uh, anecdotes about uh, a great artist that we admire facing completely ignorant racism? Mm, yes. Well, you know, talking about uh, Le Noce di Figaro on that night, uh, it was originally supposed to be Kiri Takanawa singing The mm -hmm. Countess. And um, when the curtains went up on Poggiamore, uh, and they saw that it was not Kiri, but that it was Roberta Alexander. There were boos coming from the house. And she said that it shook her. Um, and I can't imagine it. And she said it, it may not have been a lot of boos, but just hearing one multiplied itself by thousands uh, because you're just there to do your job and to sing. And, and, and it's know. one of the hardest entrances in all of opera. In all of opera all of opera and she's one of the greatest Mozart singers ever. So to, to experience that as a woman, as a black woman on the greatest stage in probably all the world, but especially here in America to hear that um, had to be very jarring. Um, but and it just takes one person to give permission to the others. That's you know? it. That's it. That's it. But um, also, you know, George Shirley told me stories about when the Met would go on tour uh, through the South and Rudolph Bing would have to step in and when hotels would say, well, the whole cast can stay here except for him. And then Rudolph Bing would say, well, if he can't stay, nobody's staying. We'll go somewhere else. And so it takes leaders like that to stand up. But these things happen. They happen. They don't happen as blatantly now, but they still happen. Well, the, the Barbara Hendricks, Roberta Alexander, and Harlan Blackwell video is very easy to find on yes. Black Opera Live on YouTube. <laughs> so everybody go and watch that. Um, 
on a happier note, uh, mm-hmm. you are part of a team that was recently nominated for three Grammy Awards oh my gosh. Uh, for Rachel Daniel Poor's Passion of Yeshua. Yes. Uh, congratulations on that. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, it's still very surreal. I wake up and it's like, you're a Grammy nominee. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Outrageous. Outrageous. So we love to handicap the Grammys and to sort of analyze the choices. And I would say this year, there seems to be a, an effort to be more inclusive in it's the It's a colorful year. It's a colorful <laughs> year. <laughs> we love to see it. Yeah. And just in the vocal category, we have Deshaun Burton's recording nominated. Yes. Uh, there's a Porgy and Bess, an entire mm-hmm. cast. And then there's this... Um, Black Jesus Oratorio. <laughs> yes. And Sanctuary Road, too. Yes. Sanctuary so, Road. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. It's fascinating. And I think it's both that all of these pieces are tremendous mm-hmm. on their own, but also I believe in my whole being that the Recording Academy and its voters are finally getting it, are finally understanding that greatness and inclusivity go hand in hand. And it's high time that it happens. Classical music is not this sort of whitewashed, solely Western European sort of art form anymore. And if you want it to stay alive and to be vibrant and to have long lasting history beyond 2020, it's going to have to open its eyes and open its doors and yeah. dust, dust we, it off and, and take the We all love Chopin, off. but we have enough Chopin preludes. Exactly. <laughs> we, we have enough. We have enough. And we have enough of the same people playing Chopin. Let's have mm. different people playing Chopin. Yeah. Well, next year, you'll be able to be one of the nominators. Right? Yes. Become, yeah. I've become so, I mean, a voter or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's really the issue is like, who are the gatekeepers and who mm-hmm. are the people who are making these decisions? And if you're not including people and they're never nominated, you can never, you know, open exactly. it up, you know? Exactly. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, I know you just got off the phone with with Mr. Daniel Poor, just yeah, about I that talk- piece to kind of tease it out for our audience who hasn't heard it yet. He just randomly called me this morning. We haven't spoken since the nominations came out because I'm sure he's been busy and overwhelmed. And he just had another one of his pieces uh, have a world premiere at the Oregon Bach Festival, a piano piece, which was amazing. But he called me and he called me just to say thank you for being a part of this piece, which was a passion for him um, and to tell the story of the last 36 hours of the life of Christ um, through the Jewish perspective. He wrote the libretto and taking it right from the scriptures. Um, and half of the or- oratorio is in Hebrew and half is in English. And the Buffalo Philharmonic, um, both the orchestra and chorus and the UCLA. And Joanne Valletta. <laughs> and Joanne Valletta. Oh my, she is a dream. She she's is incredible. a dream to she's work been doing, with. She's been doing this work her whole life. And like- She has. Yeah, I, I want she's, her to win all the Grammys. <laughs> all the Grammys. Like she's such a beautiful spirit and a wonderful collaborator. Like she's this little dynamo that knows exactly what she wants and she knows how to get it. But she does it in such a collaborative way that you, the artist, feel free to give her your absolute best. There are some conductors where it's like, it's my way or no way. This is, we're doing it in four, not in two. We're doing it at this tempo. Joanne is so the opposite. And I think the results come out in this amazing recording. 
And you were saying to me that uh, Mr. Daniel Poor specifically wanted a singer of color to sing Jesus. Yes, he did. He said, Jesus does not look like he comes from Stockholm, Sweden. And I want everybody <laughs> to know that. <laughs> so he said it was very important to have um, a singer of color sing this part. And uh, so I was, I was happy. And the mother of Jesus. And the Mary, the mother of Jesus, which is sung by my dear, dear friend, Janae Bridges, who I love so much. Um, and, and to be on a world premiere performance and a recording with your one of your dearest friends is just like wow wow yeah, that gets nominated for three grammys so that gets nominated for three and i you know i wasn't aware when the nominations were coming out and i was on a zoom call like we all are and my phone just started eh, 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 eh. <laughs> and uh, my friend damien sneed who's like a tremendous musician himself he said congratulations I just heard your name called on the recording you did with Joanne Valletta. And I'm like, what? And I dropped my phone to the floor and I started crying. <laughs> called my grandmother and my parents. And oh my gosh, what a whirlwind. Yeah. Well, unfortunately this year, it'll be probably the Zoom ceremony. We won't be able to. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, they just did the American Music Awards and people were able to go to that. So we'll see. And it's on January 31st. So maybe, just maybe we can go to LA and and experience yeah. it who knows well i mean you're a first responder i mean you have a talk show so you are a first you're a first informer so i think yes. you qualify as a, a, a critical worker <laughs> yeah, exactly i'm essential yeah. <laughs> well uh so many great things came out of this year I mean, it's obviously your hard work and it's not like it just fell in your lap, but this is, mm. you know, been your passion. And then suddenly the time to, um, to do some of these things and to call up Barbara Hendricks on the phone. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my God. She gave me her phone number. Like I can call her. It's like, wow. Do you have any, um, interviews coming up that you would like to tease for us so that we can be sure to stay tuned? Yes. Uh, this coming Monday, I have a show with all black countertenors. Oh my God. Is John Holiday going to be on it? He is not. Uh, I've okay. had John. John Holiday has been a guest already. He had his own two hours. Okay. So you'll, if you go to my YouTube channel, you'll find okay. his interview. Um, and he's busy being a star on The Voice. So yeah. he could not do it. <laughs> <laughs> There's this little clause that he can't do these things. But um, yeah. it, I am so excited that I have the first ever black countertenor Derek Lee Reagan on the show. Mm. And I have never talked to him before until now. And I've reached out to him on Facebook and he said, yeah, I'm, I live in Brooklyn now and I would love to come on and talk. But then there are four other ones from generations underneath, uh, like Dr. Daryl Taylor, mm -hmm. who's incredible. Who started as a tenor. Yes, he was a tenor. Yeah. Studied with, yeah, studied yeah. as a tenor. And he made a bunch of recordings singing uh, music of black composers yes, and spirituals. Black composers. Yeah. Absolutely. And so. then he made a spiritual recording as a countertenor. As a countertenor. <laughs> that is badass. I love Daryl Taylor. Uh, and then uh, the Baroque specialist, uh, Reginald Mobley and out of Boston. Mitchie, yeah. uh, and uh, Patrick Daly. Uh, who's uh, in Nashville, fantastic, multi-genre countertenor. And then the young one, um, Kimon Murak. Oh, my God. The the crazy. So they're, they're all going to be on at the same time. And Did you hear all... his Rossini challenge? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. I know Kimon fairly well. We uh, toured together with the uh, American Spiritual Ensemble. And so I've seen him grow up into this dynamite because he also was a tenor. 
that turned into a counter tenor and now he is a star i cannot wait until like a really cool european label that does broke operas like hires him to do everything you know yes absolutely um well you said earlier that you're talking sports with roberta alexander or tennis Mm -hmm. with roberta alexander um federer or nadal she is Nadal. I am Federer, but okay. I love Nadal too. Nadal is my number two. So whenever okay. Federer is not playing, I'm rooting for Nadal. Okay. I don't want to like make my fans upset, but like, I've always been a Federer person. Uh, I did not understand Nadal and why people were so passionate about him. But this year I mm. started to get this feeling like watching him play in the new French open. Yeah. How, I mean, like, was... how do you win that 57 times like that? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's nuts. But it's I mean, not, it's just, also... just like just not even play the tournament anymore. Just give it to him. Yeah. Like rename the stadium the Nadal Stadium or rename the tournament the Nadal Open. Something like nobody's gonna beat him at yeah. the French Open. Just but it's on. also what I'm impressed with is just his work ethic. And, oh, he's a beast. And his dignity. He has he's so much dignity. So but, much heart. But, the, but then on the court, he is savage. An animal. He's animal. savage. And that's why like I'm more of a Federer person because like I feel like Federer is like the Mozartian like stylist and like oh, Nadal he's is Barishnikov. Like the... <laughs> he's Barishnikov and Pavarotti, like stunning, yeah. beautiful, perfect. Like the technique is outrageous. And him being an ambassador and a humanitarian and, and a father and a husband. And I just adore him. I, I can watch him play and mm-hmm. both scream and yell at the TV in excitement and weep at the same time, because he's just so amazing. So Federer, I am half Federer and half Serena Williams. Like I am both of them combined. So like, my people. <laughs> yeah. So of the young generation that don't have a Grand Slam yet, mm. uh, I mean, I'm crazy about Dominic Team. Yes. Uh, I think I think I said it yes. on the show before he's got the best legs in tennis. <laughs> They're like tree trunks. Like, yeah. Good Lord. But, um, Who is another young player that you're really excited to watch? I really love the two Russians right now. Zverev and... um, No, not Zverev. Um, um, He's German, yeah. Medvedev and uh, uh, Rublev. Rublev, yeah. I think the two of them Rublev is not handsome. That's the problem. No, he's not. But (laughs) it's okay. What do you think about Tsitsipas? He's up and down for me. I like that he's... He's passionate, but he can get whiny a little bit when mm. things don't go his way. Yeah. Um, and Sasha, you know, I think just the inconsistencies yeah. down the the business end of tournaments really annoy me. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. It's it's a mental game, but at the end for him. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And his work ethic too. I, I hear that he's often late to sessions and you know, just that sort of entitlement. It's just like snap out of it. And I thought that he would when Federer took him on that latin american tour last year with, mm-hmm. with just him to all of these countries i thought that some of that would rub off on him but it just doesn't seem to have happened <laughs> and um who do you think is the next american woman to really break through american woman yeah sophia kennan was so impressive this year i don't really like her honestly <laughs> okay. I, because she cheats her and her dad cheat like they get so many warnings for coaching violations from the stands okay. and i just don't like that and, and again, she's also whiny when things don't go her way. But there was a Jennifer Brady is interesting okay. to me. I saw her, yeah. Um, Do we think Coco's going to be able to get it together again? Uh, Coco Golf. Yeah. I, I hope so. 
I hope so. She she's in that sort of awkward age where yeah. it's like she's trying to find her wings, but all she's got all the ingredients. I think yeah. she's marvelous. And remember when baby, you didn't, remember she's when, a baby Venus to me. Oh my god, Venus used to be. I mean, Venus is still my favorite. Honestly, I think when Venus was, you know, the number one player, I yes. just loved everything that she did. And Beads I would, and all, I yeah. love it. <laughs> but that, love it. that final with um, tall white woman, uh, Lindsay Davenport, um, mm, that Wimbledon was one of my favorite matches oh, yes. of all time. So, but I feel like Coco Golf is sort of becoming like the Eugenie Bouchard story, where like she I hope that, not. Oh I my know. gosh, I do. I think she's so cute. I love her. You see Serena; her. she's on my wall here, from <laughs> top to bottom. It's all photos of her. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ken Overton. Um, people can find your stuff at what kenoverton.com. Yes, kennethoverton.com is my website. And um, then, but they should also definitely go to blackoperafilm.com. Blackoperafilm.com. Yes. And do you have a professional Facebook, don't you? Yes, Kenneth okay. Overton Baritone is my okay. um, Facebook page. Because you also share stuff there so people can just follow yes. you. And my stuff. Instagram too, um, Kenny the Overton is my Instagram handle. So okay. yeah, I'm all over the place. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on Offer Box Score. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks again to Kenneth Overton for his time for going inside the huddle with Oliver Camacho. Thanks, Oliver. Ooh. All right. We are going to tailgate a little bit and set up a sneak peek for next week as we celebrate Christmas on Ooh. the OBS. Weston Williams, pour that first tailgate beer. <laughs> Yes, uh, tonight's uh, tailgate beer comes in the form of Kathleen Battle. Uh, As do all beers. As do all beers. I should say this is a, a preview for next week. Next week is, of course, the Christmas week. There's probably a word for that. Um, Which is uh, podcast only, by the way. You podcast only. Uh, so we can play you some clips music. for you. Um, but for this particular one, I wanted to start, kind of start us off just to, to kind of wet your whistles for uh, Christmas next week by talking about my personal favorite operatic Christmas album. And that, of course, is A Christmas Celebration with Kathleen Battle uh, with the orchestra um, conducted by Leonard Slatkin. Uh, and uh, I believe it came out in 1990. Uh, and that's vintage uh, Kathleen Battle. It's 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 like that's her like at the her hair peak. is swoopy and the filters are soft. It's oh, so good. Vaseline on that lens, yes. The the, the yes. red candles just like you know, like you can reach out and just feel the wax melting yeah. on the set. It's great. Um, the this was kind of an interesting one for me because when we started thinking about it, I was like, oh gosh, I don't listen to a lot of operatic Christmas music. I'm more of a Halloween guy. Uh, you know, Wozzeck all we, day, every day. Your, yeah. your musical uh, taste. But uh, there was one. Um, there was one album in particular that I listened to a lot. Not just not just at Christmas, and it was this one. Um, and uh, I, I decided to kind of dig through my trunk of CDs and see if I could find it. And then I realized I couldn't because I actually had it all the way back on cassette tape um, to age me somewhat. Yeah. Uh, I know Oliver's not impressed because wow. he was, of course, using wax cylinders in his youth, but. For me, uh, cassette tape was uh, was a real treasure, uh, and um, my parents actually got it for uh, got it before I was born. Um, and uh, like, let's try to make our son gay. How can we best do that? <laughs> oh, I know, Kathleen Battle. <laughs> um, but this is this is a true story. Like uh, when uh, uh, when I would you know uh, when I was a very young baby. I was uh, I I was usually when you were very... six feet tall. When you exactly. were only was, six feet I, tall. I, I, 
<laughs> only six feet tall. I could barely fit in the crib. And, you know, it was really uncomfortable in the crib when you're six feet tall. So if I ever got upset um, or I was crying, my parents would put on um, uh, this recording or another recording of Kathleen Battle. And it, there was just something about her voice, those silvery tones, uh, the phrasing that just soothed my little baby mind. I would just like sit completely quietly and just like eyes Such wide a open. discerning just, ear. Just listening to her. Yes, I, I, I had very good taste as a baby. Uh, I didn't discover Voltec until I was three. So, you know, we, we had to work on it. Um, but this was this was really the recording that I would go to for years and years and years. Um, you know, well beyond the point where cassette tapes were a viable technology. Uh, just, you know, pulling out my old Walkman in like 2010 and, and uh, jamming it in there and listening to it. And there's just something about this recording. I feel like a lot of Christmas albums can kind of feel cheap and cash grabby. But just the the way she approaches every piece, it just has such a an absolutely pure Christmas spirit to it and just such gorgeous phrasing. Uh, and, uh, and just to this day, I can just feel my inner child whenever I hear a track from this album mm. and just like being quiet and listening. And to me, that's what Christmas is all about. What um, a fantastic, that is like a Christmas memory. It's like a Truman so Capote sweet. story. I Christmas am so memory. touched. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, We'll put, a, we'll put a link to that on our, on our website, of course. Opera is Box there a favorite Dallas. track that we can point to? Um, uh, Maybe I mean, they're, right they're here all, in the show notes. They're all winners. Uh, I think the one that I I played on repeat wearing out that tape uh, was probably her Oh Holy Night, the second track, I believe, mm. on the album. Or Not Low Bring a Rose Torch Air, Isabella. Is, oh, that's a great <laughs> one, too. I, I think those are probably my top three, the... Uh, oh Holy Night, uh, Low How Ro- uh, Rose Air is Blooming... Uh, um, Rose air blooming. Uh, I always get up with the, the, the apostrophes throw me <laughs> off. But uh, yeah, they're just really gorgeous. And it is the opposite of a sellout for me. It just is so beautiful and so genuinely moving and just an intrinsic part of my childhood. The one thing that I totally agree with you on, I agree with you on a lot of that. But the one thing I really agree with you upon is that Christmas for us is when you are quiet. <laughs> Got him. Stille Nacht. That's what we're all hoping for. What a great (laughs) Christmas memory. Again, next week's show, podcast only. Going to be lots of music on that one. You don't want to miss that. That's on SoundCloud and uh, Apple Podcasts. This just in the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Opera Land this week. AGMA has released a statement in response to the recent lockout by the Metropolitan Opera against Local One stagehands, saying, As an affiliate of the Coalition of Broadway Unions and Guilds, IOTC Local One stagehands do not stand alone in the lockout by Metropolitan Opera. All of the affiliates, many of whom are facing the same draconian cuts from Met Opera management, stand united with our sisters, brothers, and kin in Local One. In solidarity with the stagehands, Met Orchestra musicians also released a statement of their own describing the lockout as a particularly callous action taken by the Met management in this unprecedented pandemic. Intendantin Katarina Wagner has said that due to the coronavirus, there will be no chorus at next year's Bayreuth Festival. 
The 2021 season will feature a new production of The Flying Dutchman and revivals of Meisterzinger and Tannhäuser, but the chorus will sing live in a separate hall and be beamed into the performance. General Director of Paris National Opera, Alexander Neef, has sent a message to the audiences saying that the opera, just like every other opera house in France, has to postpone its reopening. Sorry, Maestro Wilson, we were rooting for you. The Grand Théâtre del Liceu has cancelled its remaining performances of La Traviata due to the Spanish government's new pandemic restrictions. The company announced that until the current restrictions are revised to allow for more than 500 audience members, the theater cannot continue presenting work, noting that performing for just 500 people is economically unsustainable. In an update to a drill item from a month ago, Dresden's Zemper Oper has now announced that it will remain closed until at least March, a second postponement for their scheduled winter season. The Philadelphia Orchestra has named the beloved French contralto and conductor, and sometimes both at the same time, Natalie Stutzmann as principal guest conductor. Stutzmann starts her three-year deal beginning with the 2021-22 season, following principal guest conductor Stéphane Deneuve, whose scheduled final appearance was thwarted by the pandemic shutdown. Opera Theatre of St. Louis has named Yvette Loinaz as their new director of artistic administration for the company. Loinaz's work as an opera singer, administrator, and producer should serve her well when her tenure begins on January 4th. Early, mu Early Music Vancouver has announced Susie B LeBlanc... Bleh. Leave it in! <laughs> <laughs> Le me, 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 me. Early Music Vancouver has announced Susie LeBlanc as its first female artistic and executive director. In a statement, the acclaimed Canadian soprano and early music specialist noted that throughout her career, she has aimed to, quote, uncover the work of women composers and amplify undervalued voices in historical music. The Dallas Opera has announced changes to its spring performance plans at the Winspear Opera House. Most performance dates remain the same, but there will be changes to the four productions, each of which will last no more than 90 minutes. Audiences in the 2,200-seat Winspear will be capped at 660. Kanye West's Christian opera, Nebuchadnezzar, may have been out of the news since we here at OBS finally determined that it was actually an oratorio, but now a different controversy is afoot. West has been accused of underpaying and overworking his performers and crew, who are seeking $1 million in damages. Wait a minute, Kanye's being sued? This just in, bears do defecate in forested areas. <laughs> On the disabled list, Russian baritone Boris Stensenko has been hospitalized with COVID-19. We wish him a speedy recovery. Exit stage right. French soprano Sophie Boulin has died at the age of 69 after suffering a brain tumor. The Baroque specialist leaves behind a number of recordings, among them Handel's Alessandro, Charpentier's Mede, and Gluck's Echo et Narcisse. Open House Zurich's director of studies, Anne Beckman, has also passed away at the age of 69. The American pianist and conductor worked, worked for Portland Opera and Lyric Opera Chicago before positions in Germany, France, Belgium, and finally in Zurich, where she was the director of studies for 20 years. Tenor Klaus Ofcharik has died at the age of 81. Ofcharik was a prominent soloist at the Wiener Volksoper, where he became known for numerous light opera and musical roles. In addition to his work on stage, he also had a considerable film and television career. And on this day, December 14th, it was the first performance of Sacrati's La Finta Pazza in Paris in 1645. In 1830, it was the birth of French tenor Jean-François Bertelier. In 1847, it was the birth of French baritone Jean Lassalle. 
and Vive la France in 1897. It was the birth of French tenor Georges Thiel in Paris. In 1915, English conductor and the founder of the New York Opera, Dame Ruth Rylton, was born. In 1918, Giacomo Puccini's trilogy Il Tritico was premiered. In 1925, one for Weston. It was the premiere of Berg's Wozzeck in Berlin. In 1930, Italian soprano Rosanna Carteri was born in Verona. In 1941, American soprano Karen Armstrong was born in Montana. 1941, and in 2001, it was the opening of the new home of the Philadelphia Orchestra at the Kimmel Center for Performing Arts. The gala premiere featured Denise Graves, Federica Bonstada, and Elton John, with the fabulous Philadelphians under conductor Wolfgang Swalish. And that's your two-minute trail. So that was the amazing George Thiel, who we referenced when we interviewed Benjamin Bernheim a couple weeks ago for our Halloween episode, and a little Christmas music to whet your appetite for our next episode. If you did not hear George Thiel singing just now, uh, we will make sure to include that link in the show notes. But if you're listening to the podcast, I hope you enjoyed it. He's awesome. Great uh, rundown for the two-minute drill this week. Lots happening, especially in hiring in prominent positions. Uh, yes, I think that uh, as the resident expert here, talking about all of these w- women going into productions, <laughs> I, I don't know. You might have all thought that Ashley was the expert, but actually, I'm just going to just mansplain a little bit. Yeah. Resident women's studies expert, yeah. Weston Williams. <laughs> As a uh, tall person, you know, it's a marginalized community of tall people. You understand the Weston, the you're a man. Of... Tell me about ladies and getting jobs. Um, that was a bit we planned beforehand before I'm canceled on Twitter. Uh, but, uh, but Ashley, what is your hot take? Uh, yay and more, please. And it's about time. Uh, no, these are all incredible hires. Uh, so many of them are, you know, the firsts for their companies or there's something that's particularly groundbreaking about them. I'm actually really excited about the one in Vancouver because she's got, she's had this great early music career and now she's coming back home to do all this great stuff. Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm delighted. I'm over the moon. Well, Yvette Lonaz, um, started as a singer and I think they brought her on specifically because of her singing career but also um she's going to be making casting decisions and it's sort of their goal to be more inclusive in their casting mm-hmm. and i think that's going to be one of her main you know uh initiatives uh not that opera theater st louis has been slacking but just to even make that more of like one of their guiding principles 
I am most happy about Natalie Schutzman coming to the U.S. I've been crazy about Schutzman forever. She is an amazeballs singer. And if she only ever sang Brahms, Leader, and Handel Arias, she would have done enough in her career. <laughs> but uh, now she she has this ensemble called Orfeo 55, which she conducts and sings at the same time. And now she's getting into you know, the standard orchestral rep with Philadelphia Orchestra, uh, the... I mean, uh, kind of standard. Their their program for next year includes, like, the Florence Price Piano Concerto. That's a really awesome... Yeah, yeah but I mean, meaning to say non-Baroque repertoire. Right, right, so, right. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, yes, yeah, kudos. This is, a, this is an opportunity stuff. for you, if you don't know, to just look up Natalie Stutzmann, listen to her sing Handel Arias, listen to her sing Brahms Leader. It's everything you want. See if you can handle it. Yes. Oh. Yeah, I mean, as a on the other side of all of that good news, there are quite a few opera houses that have been forced to re-cancel things. Whoops. And while that's difficult, I do have to say that these kind of stories hit very differently given where we are in the vaccine development process. Mm-hmm. Just like knowing that there is most likely going to be an end and that it's going to be sooner that like as soon as we could have hoped yeah exactly for it. i like, think it's we just had like the first here in chicago i believe we just had the first and on the day of this recording the first vaccines are being distributed in illinois yes. uh and i remember like like ooh, that good news after 2020 <laughs> <laughs> and like we well like we didn't know if the 21 22 seasons exactly. already were going to be needing right. to be canceled. Yeah, but we still we still don't know. I mean, we still don't know um not just the how efficacious this vaccine is going to be, but like what people are going to do. We're going to get into a moral quandary here of like are you vaccinated? Am I vaccinated? How do I know? Do I feel confident that I should go into a space with Five other audience members, 50 other, 500, 5,000. The vaccine is not the band-aid for the performing mm-hmm. arts that we might think it is. Just avoid people wearing mega hats just in general. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I actually, that I think, Oliver, is a really good tie into what is actually going to be the thing that gets us all back to work, so to speak, which is public trust, which is the one thing that we seem to be kind of depleted in. Uh, recently, there there are a lot of folks that are very concerned about the the swiftness and the speed at which this vaccine has come through. Some things take years. This has taken eleven months. Uh, but you have to keep in mind that this is a vaccine that's on the backs of a number of different back vaccines. So they kind of had to, the 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 nuts and bolts of the recipe were there. They just had to figure out how to make it for like the most recent case of whatever was going on. So it'll be really interesting. D- today is a very interesting day in, in history in general, because we had the official vote of the members of the Electoral College yes, and the first vaccines coming out. It really does feel like we are on the precipice of of an era that's different than this one. And there's, you're right, Matt, it, it hits different. And, but... But George is absolutely right that vaccines don't save lives. Vaccinations do. Mm-hmm. And so right. we're not, you know, we're not at the end of this yet, but it is a very differently shaped tunnel than when we started talking about this. I think that and there's a light in it. As uh, 
you know, broadcasters who are reporting the news in the opera community, uh, we would qualify <laughs> as first responders, first reporters, I think is the category. <laughs> yes, that yes. I'll, I'll walk so, in with my press pass. I, I, I have like, oh, what's this? I'm getting a call. Oh, they're Critical. saying we're, we're dead last on the list. The very <laughs> no. last ones. No. Okay. All right. The list well. has seven and we're number yeah. 10. Got it. Okay. <laughs> first <laughs> pets, <laughs> then opera broadcasters. <laughs> I mean, to, to see the effects of this in, in the arts, specifically for the Bayreuth story. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, if, if you're directing a new production of Flying Dutchman, it's got a big chorus. A lot of these Wagner operas do. I think every Wagner opera has a big chorus, apart from perhaps... Part perhaps, of the first perhaps, three of the ring cycle. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, to do a new production with a chorus in a different room, like, that is doable. That is possible because you conceptualize it and you... You build it in from the ground up. To do a revival of Meistersinger or a revival mm. of Tannhäuser with the chorus separate, I, I I don't see how that's going to work. I don't see how you can backtrack or you can um, – what's the word when you like upgrade? Uh, you sort of um, repurpose or fix mm. a machine. Uh, refurbish. Uh, refurbish. Refurbish, yeah, exactly. Or, or sort of – after the fact, you you fix it. I I don't I don't see how that's going to work. I mean, I think that you know it's it. I think it can be done. Obviously, it's just going to be a slightly different experience. Um, I I do agree, though. I think that one of the things, the silver linings to this cloud of a year, uh, has been the uh, the necessity for uh, trying new things and really pursuing those limitations with a mind to creating something new. And I, I it is kind of, it, it, it doesn't, it's not the same when it's just, uh, when it's just pretending like it's normal, but there are these speakers with the chorus in the, other, in the other room. That being said, I think that it's a good call. And even though at that point, hopefully the vaccine will be fairly widely distributed. I think that it's, it's really encouraging to see opera companies, um, still uh, taking things seriously, even for far down the line, when a lot of people are already saying, oh, we'll be fine by then. You know, I, I think that it's a, a good thing to have those limitations in mind. And then who knows, maybe by by then we won't need them, but we should have them in place just in case. Retrofit. That's the word I was looking there for. There you there go. There it is. Oh. He found it. it I, I, blame the, I blame the Verners, probably. Um, <laughs> Not can, a sponsor. Can I, can I blame Kanye? We can uh, a lot all of blame pe- Kanye. <laughs> a lot of people are. He's getting sued left, right, and center. Um, okay, couple couple points. Couple points. Are you ready? Ashley, Uncle Ashley has some points here. We are definitely ready. <laughs> Tell us a story, Uncle Ashley. She's yeah, yeah. Um, first of all, these lawsuits happened in July and August. How in the blue blazes are we just now hearing about? I really that? think it's because everyone decided that we couldn't talk about Kanye until after November third. <laughs> no one wanted to like. No one wanted to poke him and, while at he all. was running. Just don't well, talk about I, him at all. That's fair. Well, I wondered if that had something to do with like his presidential run because isn't that about when he announced that he was running? Was around July and August? Mm, something like that. Time I, is yeah. really meaningless. At I am unwill- I'm willing to be fact checked on that. If I'm wrong, I'm super willing to admit it. Unlike other places. Um, but <laughs> so okay. So there's there's two separate lawsuits here. One is for technical people, so like hairdressers, costumers, makeup, and then one is for performers. If they and there's there's a bunch of different classifications for workers in the um, under the state of California's laws. It's the ABC test. So depending on kind of how and when and where you participated, you're either an employee or an independent contractor, and that's kind of what's at the heart of this thing. Mm. Uh, but the the challenge here is that he's he's not just not 
paid them. He's underpaid by upwards of $1 million, which sounds like a lot of money. For someone like Kanye, it is not. That man is worth yeah. $1.3 billion. So I am, I am out of the prediction business. But if I were, I would say that this case is not going to go to trial. This serves no one. It, he should just... I mean, he's going to. Someone on his team, one of his cranky accountants is going to get this thing <laughs> taken care of. And these folks will get paid because it serves no one if this thing goes to trial because it's just going to tie up time in the California court system, which we're not going to have. Although with that new um, new DA, the new uh, attorney general in L.A., man, there's going to be all sorts of stuff going on. So they're going to have even less time for the courts there. But yeah, I, I can't see this going to trial. I imagine he's going to or someone is going to strongly advise him to pay this out. Now, he's not really great at taking advice, so we'll see. But I just don't see a way that this is <laughs> Yeah, goes clearly. Out. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done those shows in the first place. I mean, I will say, I will say, though, that, um, you know, we, there was all this debate when the opera uh, first came out of was this a real opera? And I think the debate is settled because, like the Met before him, he is also not paying his singers. <laughs> I love that uh, Tritico and Wojcik were just uh, seven years apart in conversation. Isn't that wild yeah, to me? In, in premiere. Also, yeah. happy National Wojcik Day to everyone, all of our <laughs> listeners. I know Christmas is coming up. That's yeah. a secondary holiday. Um, uh, please pass around your, your traditional knives to all of your loved ones. <laughs> langsam, uh, langsam. So that's, <laughs> that's the gift-giving tradition, knives on Wojcik Day? <laughs> just bloody knives. <laughs> and I'll have to throw them in the sink. A hobby horse for the what child. What are the gifts for Tritico? What does the child play with at the end? Is it a hobby, a hobby horse? horse. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I quit. I quit. I'm fired. I quit. Oh, God. Merry Christmas, everyone. All right. Let's wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Good call, bad call. That that was the most surreal end to the two-minute drill I think I've ever experienced. I'm proud of it. I'm really proud of it. Red letter. I, I blame Albon Baird. Uh, Oliver Camacho, you got a good call or a bad call for us? Well, just like we were talking about, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and there's like a new beginning, hopefully with an administration, etc. Um, Orfeo, Orpheus, is the story that always gets told whenever there's like turning the page. And uh, I want to shout out to Opera Williamsburg, which created a remote Orfeo, the um, Gluck version, uh, with artists who were all in different parts of the world um, and filmed their own parts. And then a filmmaker put it together and it's premiering tomorrow. By the time you hear this yesterday, December 15th, that's Opera Williamsburg. And also we just learned today that Northwestern University finally has announced um, the premiere of Orfeo Remote, the Monteverdi Orfeo Remote. And that's going to happen in January. So we'll definitely try to get uh, the, the director, um, jo Joachim Tromsberg, on to talk about that. But that's that's project that's taking a long time. And I, I mean, rightfully so. I mean, I, I know that they had a lot of uh, challenges with that. And it's a lot of different film that he had to stitch together to create that Orfeo, but um, looking forward to that. But it's Orfeo time, everybody. <laughs> Matt Cummings. Uh, as we were prepping for the show tonight on Monday, I saw on my social media that um, Broadway legend Anne Ryan King passed away today. And um, I came to opera through by way of musical theater. That was really where I was introduced to live performance, live music, 
stage spectacle. Uh, and Anne Reinking was one of the absolute best dancers in the history of the art form. She is incredible. I watched every YouTube video of her that I could find while I was prepping for this. Watched them all. Uh, rest in peace. Weston Williams. Uh, if you're not uh, already watching The Voice, uh, the finale is coming up. Make sure you vote for John it's Holiday. It's today. <laughs> so oh, we'll God. know the, re- we'll the results. <laughs> oh, no. Th- That's the first time I've had a good call in months, and I mess it up. <laughs> Ashley Hardgrave. My good call goes to friend of the show, Zachary James, uh, and fellow Arkansan, hey girl, Bonnie Montgomery. Uh, they have released another single for his upcoming uh, visual album, Call Out. Uh, it's called Song Beyond Words. It's in vocalese. It's currently out on Apple Music, Spotify, and YouTube. It's really beautiful. It's got uh, piano, still guitar, of course, the baritone and soprano. Uh, he recorded alongside Megan Nielsen. It is the first classical composition to use a steel guitar. I got a good call as well. A friend of our family gave us a big stack of old Christmas CDs from the 80s and 90s. And one of them I have been listening to nonstop. Chanticleer, Sing We Christmas. It's really, it's so good. Especially the second half of this CD, which is all uh, 20th century carols. Herbert Howells, who else is on here? Charles Ives, Gustav Holst, stuff arranged by David That's a great album. I mean, this is the kind of Christmas music I was raised on. It's really spectacular. That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Our announcer is Norm Waddell, normwaddell.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Opera Box Score podcast version of our show available on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. The views and opinions expressed on Opera Box Score are solely those of the show's creative team. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of the accounts of this show without the express written consent of Opera Box Score would be totally cool. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. Our audio and video editor is Weston Williams. For our guest, Kenneth Overton, and your co-hosts, Matt Cummings and Ashley Hardgrave. I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera when you try to build a gingerbread house and then you get really frustrated when it doesn't stick together and then the whole thing collapses into this pile of like sugar. That's very personal, George. That's that's all right. I didn't even know that Jewish people made gingerbread houses. We're back (laughs) with an all new show next week when we see what's inside the OBS Christmas stocking. Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more name changes for racist sports teams. Join us. Thank you.